This podcast is sponsored by Baxi. Baxi manufacture high-efficiency boilers here in the UK and have done so for over 150 years. Their product training is extremely well-respected in the industry and their installer loyalty scheme, Baxi Works, is award-winning. For now, why don't you hit that subscribe button, but sit back and enjoy this podcast. and welcome to the We Are Men Talk podcast. As always, I'm your host, Steve Smith, and I'm with Stephen Blair today. How are you doing, Steve? How are you doing, Steve? How are you doing, Mike? And we're very lucky today to be joined by Andy Jacobs. So welcome, Andy. Thanks very much. Yeah, good to be here. Thank you for joining us. So uh, you know that we're big men's mental health advocates um, over at Men Talk. And um, just a quick one today, really, for you, just to see what your perception on men's mental health is. And obviously, I know you're very closely attached to sport, so you know, entwined into that also. Yeah, this is such a great thing you're doing because it's so important for people to talk. And it's so, again, it's taken men so long to get to this position, hasn't it, really, to, to feel comfortable. And even myself, you know, I feel more comfortable now speaking to work about things if I've got any issues. Whereas in the past, I don't think I would have mentioned anything at all, you know, just got on with it and that's it. You know, so it's a good thing. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it goes back generations, doesn't it? But as, as you say, I think things are slowly changing and we're definitely seeing a change. I mean, as you can probably see, me and Steve are just your everyday kind of guys. So, you know, we've both struggled ourselves with mental health. Um, I've tried to take my life a couple of times and, you know, so it kind of forced us really to really want to make a difference. So, you know, speaking to someone like yourself and you saying the same thing, it's, it's brilliant. So. It's I mean, amazing sport too. It's changed so much. I think that you'll both see that that you know players do feel more comfortable now. It's still it's still not at the right place it can be, but you know it's. And what? How do you feel about the resistance though? I could ask both of you this: that you know that people when when people talk openly like this, there is a certain type of guy that is just very resistant to this sort of thing. I don't want to talk about this. I'm, I talk, stick to sport. You hear that a lot. Stick to what you do, you know, and I think that's something we still have to overcome. I think it's definitely part of the problem still, really. It's those, it's those stigmas. And I think it goes down to maybe they're not comfortable in speaking about how they feel. I think um, it's going to take a lot to change, change this. But I genuinely, I mean, we, me and Stephen speak about this a lot. I think it starts from how we, we speak to our children, and and then you know for the future generations i think they can really take the lead and for us i think we we need to build the foundations so you do see a lot of resistance still yeah things are definitely evolving Mm. um i don't think this conversation would have been taking place five years ten years ago so Mm. things are definitely evolving people are accepting things a little bit more but yeah there is still that resistance there there's still them hardened guys out there that won't admit to it um, and to be honest with you you don't need a qualification in anything to encourage somebody to talk about something I just think we, we all need to remember that when we're talking to our mates and that and they're saying they're feeling down we need to have that conversation with them ask them why they're down and not like you say typical bloke you'll say to him oh I feel, feel rubbish you feel down and he'll say yeah yeah I'm it anyway did you see that goal at the afternoon? It was amazing. Exactly it's true, though. Yeah, I, I mean, even I mean, last week, I did something on the show that I never normally do. I mean, I always start the show 
with a laugh you know that's what I try to do I don't always succeed but that's what we're known for and I was so upset by that thing in Burnley I was so annoyed by this deliberate misunderstanding of what black lives matter I mean all these people say well what about white lives and who's ever said white lives don't matter what white person's ever been stopped by the the police for driving a nice car or not got a job because of the color of their skin it's not that's not what it is and it's a it, this is the same thing that we're talking about just now it's a kind of deliberate misunderstanding and a deliberate emotional incontinence i don't want to hear well don't keep going on about your talk sport just talk about sport we got a lot of i got a lot of stick for doing that you know, i think so. fair play to you for doing it andy at the end of the day if, if people like yourself don't speak up then we don't promote change and I think the, you know, I always think in these situations, you see the best and the worst of society, even during COVID. And I mm. think the, as they silly maybe saying, but cream rises to the top and we need to keep speaking. And, you know, I think it takes, takes a lot of courage to stand up and say something that may go against the grain to a lot of people, regardless of that, if you feel strongly about it, then, you know, you, I think it has to be said. It also sparks debate. It sparks debate. Do you get resistance to this work that you're doing? Do you get people saying, I don't want to hear about this. Don't tell me about this. Who cares, you know? Personally, I got a guy trolling me at the weekend. um, Fellow heating engineer, I don't know him personally. He's also got a master's in psychology, which he, he openly said was a worthless qualification. Any idiot could gain his qualification oh, and uh, re- refer to us as amateurs and basically more or less we're doing worse than good. And we were a bit confused by the conversation, the way it was going. And I was shocked by his comments for somebody who had got claimed to have such a qualification that his, his, his comments were so negative and judgmental towards somebody. And I just, I just thought it was bizarre from someone who's obviously quite well educated be so derogative towards somebody who's never met before basically just tried to shoot us down didn't they i mean for me that i it you know it can be upsetting i think we have to develop a thick skin and i think i think the difference for us andy is me and steven don't really tell people how they should feel which i think maybe that's part of the problem where we're going wrong i mean we tell you how we felt and you know you could feel that way and our community of men's getting stronger and stronger. We're probably in total nine and a half thousand. You know, we've got multiple partners that want to fund us. I mean, we work with uh, at the moment probably 15 professionals. So any community member that needs help, you know, we can force them that way. So we can only take them to a certain point, which is what we want to encourage the open dialogue. Yeah. But when it comes to professional help, we have that in hand, you know, and that's, that's our model. You've certainly come a long way, that's for sure. It's it's a lot better, it's a lot better than when I was growing up. You know, you just couldn't admit anything, you know, at all. People would look at you and think you're weak. There's something wrong with you, you know. Well, it's, it's that old it, thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's strange, really. It's like it changes every generation. So the generation before, or so we was brought up, was don't cry, be a man, stiff up a lip. My dad would say to me, if I was crying, I'll give you something to cry about, and I'd get a whack first. Before he comforted comforted me and asked me why I was crying, he'd like to whack me first, so he was crying for a reason. Um, So, like, that generation was a tough generation. It's been pushed down onto us, 
Now, we're becoming more vocal about it, but then if I look at the younger generation to us, everything is depressing to them. It's like they've gone one late leap further than us and they're upset by everything. They've got a depression about everything. So depression now with mental health problems is a, it's an everyday word. But I think you've got to define between just having a couple of bad days and being a bit down or this is a yeah. prolonged period of feeling bad about situations, bad about yourself. And I think we need to define and draw the boundary of what mental health is. It's not just feeling down occasionally. It's not having a bad day. It's an ongoing issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think we, I think we need to get back to actually what it is and educate the younger generation that it can't be used as an excuse sometimes, which I see people do. You know, they'll do, they'll act in a certain way and then use the mental health problem as, oh, I've got this problem. But I don't think, you know, I've got my own problems, but I've never used it as my scapegoat, if you know what I mean, for my actions, which I find, I notice in the younger generation a lot. I see it in my own children, trying to do it, if you know what I mean, and I have to try and correct and say, that's wrong. You, you're responsible for your own actions. Yeah, it's definitely, it, it's inevitable that it would swing too much the other way that's kind of the way it is they'll, they'll we'll arrive at something just about right hopefully but it's true <laughs> yeah i mean we work with i mean all our production team are much much younger than us i mean one's 22 and the other's 28 or something like that but that's good for us because we get a different perspective from our own perspective which you know i'm 67 so you you're going to look at life in a very different way to a guy that's 28 and it's very useful that but it has shocked me at times where you think really that sensitive about this issue or that issue and thinking because in my generation we didn't you know you just weren't sensitive about anything and then basically everything it's not right but everything was fair game so yeah. you have to adjust yourself and there is a danger that you know you people do worry about what's going to happen to comedy can you make any jokes can you can you be funny about anything some people will say, like David Baddiel, you can be funny about everything, as long as it's funny. You know, so yeah. it's, a, it's a very hard thing, because there is a very much a feeling now that if you, you to take the mickey out of somebody, or take the mickey out, somehow that's wrong. I, I think that's maybe too much the other way. I mean, you always want people, when you're having fun with people, you, don't, you want people to be laughing with you. I mean, when Paul takes the piss out of me, I'm the first laughing. I'm the one that's laughing the most, probably, out of everybody. So... That's what you want when you take the mickey. You don't ever want to hurt anybody. But on the other hand, you wouldn't want a situation where you feel, oh, I can't say anything about anything now. What can, what can you be funny about? You know? At some <laughs> point, we just sit there saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a sort of balance. And getting it right, especially when you're doing three hours live radio a day, is tricky. You know, it is. Especially, you know, part of me sometimes... Part, it's an interesting one, this. I mean, part of me knows all of this that we're doing now and that you're doing is right. You know, and today we had a thing about unconscious racism in commentary. And you think, you know what, it's true. You know, we do also, he's really powerful about a black player or he's a very clever player, isn't he? A little white player like Modric or something. And we do it, we do it, it's unconscious. We don't do it because we're racist. It's just the way it's been. And so to change that is hard. Especially yeah. if some people won't like to hear that it's wrong. People will say, oh, don't be so stupid. You know, you can say a player is powerful in this without being racist. But, you know, you look at this research that they did, and it's really interesting. So I'm sort of torn half the time. I know what the right thing to be is. 
but I grew up in such a politically incorrect era that I have to fight myself in a way to say, no, look, you know, I don't, I, I, there's no point trying to pretend you don't want to hear this. It's the right thing. Same mm. about yeah. mental health. Does that affect you though, Andy, personally, when you're like torn between saying something and then, and then not? Because that kind of like, your character is your character at the end of the day. And I'm... It is, but you, I, I want a job. I don't want to get fired. So. Of course, yeah, <laughs> there is that. You have, be, you have to be aware of sensibilities. But I'm also aware that the audience don't like it if we're too sensitive. And too sensitive you know, so it's striking a balance. And, and in my own, in general, you know, I've been, I've been lucky in my life. I've, I've suffered from anxiety and from performance anxiety, but not true depression. I mean, I did take antidepressants when I was in my early 20s, but I just was anxious and they thought that was the best way around it. And I, over the years, I've suffered performance anxiety. Sometimes, you know, in the middle of the show, I might suddenly get really anxious and really, I start sweating and people don't know that because mm. it's radio and you, you, you sort of portraying a kind of Thing. And most of the time, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. But, you know, so I do, I have a lot of sympathy for this because I know what it's like and I know how good it's been to have a, a I've been married for a long time, to have a woman that I can speak to. Yeah. I can say, I'm feeling felt that or I've got this, I can't understand why suddenly I'm getting nervous about the show and I've been doing it for 15 years, I've been doing it for 20 years, but say at that point, you know, why am I, why am I, why am I like this? And, you know, and then we'll talk it out. And talking it out is just, and I'm sure you two think this too, is the best, the best thing. Better than drugs. Sometimes drugs are needed, you know, to get people over a, a hump and, and sometimes people are really seriously down and chemically imbalance it. But in the end, talking is the best thing. Mindfulness, talking, is definitely the best thing, I think. I agree. agree. Yeah, I think the, the medication and stuff can mask that and obviously suppress certain things to help you to a point. But I think there's got to be that will as well to, to want to make that change. And I think, you know, you, you're stronger than you think as well at times. Just need to Did find you find it. in yourselves and with other men there, you know, they thought they were on their own. They thought the only person. Because I remember, I remember feeling that. I felt that all my friends are fine. And why aren't I fine? And then, of course, you weren't the only one, but you, you thought you were. Yeah, but you just think it's always just you. I think, yeah, you do. You just think, oh, I'm the only one going through this. I'm weak. I've gone through all them emotions. Mm. Like the community of guys that we have, it's incredible. You know, we do get a lot of watchers and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden they post something and they go, I never knew that other guys felt like this. And yeah. then you see them in dialogue with each other. And I think that's amazing, I think. Men want reassurance from another man. They want the reassurance from another butch, you know, alpha male to say, it's okay to feel like that. I feel like it as well. Mm. Um, but yeah. Although it's nice to be able to speak to a woman, sometimes it's like you're admitting, you kind of feel like you're admitting you're half a man to some, a woman. Yeah. If you know what I mean? But when you've got a guy talking back to you on the same level, it's refreshing, it's reassuring to know yeah. what you say. Yeah. You're not the only guy that feels like that. And I suppose, really, if people see this, you know, this isn't the sort of thing I normally do. I never do stuff like this. And I suppose if people see this, hopefully they'll think, you know, you know, this place isn't just a sort of joker, an idiot, a clown. You know, they actually have feelings and understand these 
feelings than other men and how bad it can be for people. It's, uh, but I'm fine, I'm fine. When you're a, a jokey and a happy kind of person, people are taken back more by it when you actually say, there's a flip side to me. Because I don't see, all I see is that happy person, which is more partner said that to me, my girlfriend said that to me, she went, you're the happiest person I know. And I was like, but how do you work that age then? Because you go out of the house with a smile in the morning and you come back with a smile regardless of how your day's been. And I always say, yeah, but, you know, no matter how I feel, I know sometimes it's me who feels that way. It's nobody else who's made me feel that way and I'm not going to push my emotions and feelings onto somebody else, if that makes sense. Whereas mm. if my missus is upset, everybody's upset. <laughs> that, that's the kind of a difference, if you know what I mean, but... People just look at you and think you're happy. They don't see that when you tell them, sometimes they don't believe you because you'll be happy five minutes later. Yeah. I mean, I had this thing that people with me, if I want to be serious and if, I, or if I'm not laughing, or smiling, people, I get people come to me and go, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You're not well. You're unhappy. You know, I'm thinking, look, I'm just not laughing. I can't be laughing 24 hours a day. <laughs> I, I got that a lot, you know, and it, it used to drive me mad that, you know, that people would expect me to be a certain way all the time. And you think, no one's like that all the time. No one's only one thing. They're not, you know, so, but, you know, you learn to live with these things and you just get on with it. And, and in the end, most of the time, I'd say 95%, I am a happy person. I am, I like having a laugh. I'm, I'm actually, who doesn't, you know, you'd much rather... You know, and laughter is a is a great thing. There's no question about that. You know, that when you're ha having a laugh, I mean, one of the things that I miss about lock in lockdown is the office. I miss going in and the banter, the meetings, the the fun. You know, that that's something we really miss. And it's all very well people saying, "Oh, yeah, you can work from home, work from home is great." But I think that's something. You know, that it's a bit isolating working from home. You know, and that that doesn't help people's mental health. I don't think. No, I think people need people person-to-person uh, -person interaction. So I think um, it's important, isn't it? Even yeah, like you say, to have a laugh, it's always nicer to do that than face-to-face -face than over Zoom or something like that. I think that will increase the issue with with mental health. I don't think we'll see it for a period of time, but I think if you you know twelve to eighteen months, I think we'll see a real rise in during this COVID and what it's caused. but People have got no separation at the minute. The ones who are working at home, they've got no separation between home life and work. Mm. It's all it's all in one at the minute, if you know what I mean. So sometimes being at home can get you down and going to work can be a little safe place or your little break and, and vice versa. But I guess you've not got that at the minute. A lot of people haven't. I'm lucky that I'm still out working as a heating engineer and I'm in and out and working as I was because I don't think I'd enjoy sitting at home. No chance. It's not, yeah. It's, it's not easy, it's true. Um, I, I was going to say to you as well, the other thing that I find, well, I suppose everybody finds difficult, but I had a friend who committed suicide and I really liked this guy and he was a lovely guy and he, and he had everything. He had a beautiful wife. He built a big business, he was successful, you know. And when he died, you were just left with this feeling, why, why, why did he do this? And, I, and, I, and I, that's never gone away from me. That happened about 10 years ago. And now when I see it in the press, you always know in the press when somebody's died surprisingly and they don't give the reason why they've died. Usually that's 
because they've killed themselves. Mm. And I'm left with that same feeling all the time. That's what, it's a kind of helpless feeling where you think, why, why did they do this? Why, why, why couldn't we have helped them? Why couldn't we have done something for this person? And it is a very, that is still a big problem, I think, a big, big problem. It's a huge problem. And I think from the side of the, the person, I can only speak from my experience, but, um, you know, the, the one attempt that I, I I tried for argument's sake, I just felt like everyone would be better off. You know, I've got four beautiful girls. I've got a partner who I love, you know, so much. But at that point, I thought they'd be better off. That That is all in my head. You know, it is, you look back and I think, you know, it's it's quite selfish, but you can't help those trailer thoughts. I didn't see any other way out. You know, now I'm here, standing here today, and then I look at them and I think, how could I have ever done that to them? You know, because then I'm passing it on to them. So, but at that yeah. moment, you, you're not thinking that, and it's it's upsetting. But well, it's that odd thing where you you're right. It's you you think you're being unselfish because you you think people will be better off without you. But actually, it's the most selfish thing you could do, really, because it's so hard on the people who are left behind. Agreed. So really. I know that it really affected me this, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure anybody that has friends who have done this feels the same, you know, the, just this helplessness about, you know, why couldn't we have done something? You know, we've just got to keep talking, we've got to keep trying, to, you've got to promote that, you know, mindfulness, I think being present in the moment with each other, mm. you know. And we had a, an interview with um, Joe Egan, you know, and he said laughter. You know, we need to be able to laugh with each other. Oh yeah. When mentioned laughter earlier, I was thinking exactly the same. Yeah. His phrase was, "It doesn't matter where you come from, we all laugh the same language. So even if you don't speak the same language, I start laughing at something, then you'll know I'm laughing and I'm being, I'm enjoying myself, and we'll yeah, laugh together." No, I mean that's it, and that's why we're very privileged in our job to have a. It is fun, you know. It is a laugh, and that definitely helps. And uh, it's interesting you should say that though about four, having four kids and, and feeling this way because my early problems were before my children were born. And once they were born, I felt different about life. I felt like instead of being focused so much on myself that I was now having to focus on these two babies who were born quite soon and I had to worry about them. And because I was worrying about them, I wasn't worrying about me. And I found my mental health improved. And really, for for quite a long time, and then I got to the point where I'd, I'd done fantasy football. I finished the World Cup in '98. It was massively successful. It was the most successful thing I'd ever done up to that point. And then suddenly, like there was nothing. And that following year, I lost so much confidence. And by the end of '99, I really was, you know, quite in quite a bad way in terms of. I went into meetings, I'd suddenly get sweaty and I'd get, I, was, I lost, I just lost confidence. And if you'd have said to me that was going to happen at the point of 98, when I was really, really on a high, I'd have said to you, nah, no chance. I'm, I'm, everything's going great. I'm done brilliant. I've produced this brilliant show that people love, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it is interesting how it can affect you and how you can lose confidence. You hear this from guys that you can lose confidence. And when you do, that's when problems can really kick in, I think. You can just yeah. manifest, I think, from that. What do you think it was for you, Andy? Do you think it was that you felt that you shouldn't be sitting there, you shouldn't have a place at 
at that after the 98? Or what was it, do you think, that you felt made you feel like that? Go for me, the following year, I couldn't get, we, we went from that, we knew the series had finished, and I wasn't involved in 2004 because I was already doing fantasy football. Uh, sorry, uh, Hawks being Jacobs. And me and Paul were in an office together, and we were trying to get things off the ground, and it just wasn't happening. And as, as the months went by, you just went from this really confident, oh, everybody's going to want stuff from, from us because we did, to, oh, shit, maybe we, are, maybe we are very good and maybe we aren't, you know. And I remember going to pitch ideas. I felt so nervous and so hopeless, really, hopeless. So it's interesting how it can affect you when you don't think it's going to happen, when you least expect it. And then gradually talking and talking and, and, and by that point I had learned that I had, could, could talk about stuff and discuss stuff and then that helped and then obviously doing uh, Hawksbeam Jacobs by the time it came round yeah it was about a year later and that really obviously helped because you know but I mean again I mean the first year or so I was so anxious I hardly slept the first I'd say the first six months I remember one night like we think we'd been on air about a month and bear in mind we've been 20 years now but you know, at that point, and I was quite experienced, but I just, <laughs> terrible insomnia. And I remember one night, couldn't get to sleep. I was really anxious about the program and what was going to be in it. Would it be any good? And so I decided to read Brian Moore's autobiography. I happened to have it, you know, the commentator. And the thing, the book starts and says, I haven't slept for 30 years. <laughs> this is not helping. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> yeah, so... But you have to try and, you know, it's only by talking about it, you can, you can I found it, there was a friend that I'd spoke to a guy and, you know, and I realized what was going on and, and then it got better. And, but, and it's been good for a long time, but just now and then, just on an odd occasion, I get that feeling again and it's, it's horrible. It really is. So I do have sympathy for anyone that has this kind of, and it does recur. I don't care who you are. You know, you say, oh, I'm, I'm much better now. But it's not that, it's never that far away from returning, I think, with people. You have to do a lot of work to keep it at bay. Agreed. I mean, do you ever think about like meditation or anything, Andy? Do you I've, ever... I've done that. Yeah, I do the meditation. It's good. It works. It's good. I'm into, yeah. I'm into anything. Like yoga breathing's very good. Mm. Nostril. Because yeah, say even not that long ago. I can't even remember why. I think again at the start of this pandemic, because each time you change, when we went from working in the studio to working at home, and there was no sport, and I'm thinking, and people saying, "You you won't be able to do the show." And I'm thinking, "Oh no, no, we won't." I'm thinking, "Fuck me, we won't." <laughs> what the hell are we gonna do? You know, for the, you know, and it, and it, and I did get quite nervous and quite anxious because. You have standards. You, there's a reason why the show, people love the show, and that it's good. It's because we both, he's anxious too. He's quite an anxious person. And so we both really, really never take it for granted, never complacent, never feel we've cracked it. And I think that's a good thing, actually. In, in work, it's good. But in your mental health, it's maybe not so good because it, it, it drives you a bit mad. So I find that now, if I do have that sort of, you know, butterflies in the stomach or just feeling particularly edgy. That yoga breathing is really excellent. It really, because this guy pointed out to me that when, when you are stressed, you, you tend to hold your breath. You tend, that's what makes you like 
sweat and get nervous because you stop breathing. We breathe too quickly. Mm. And so all of that is really important. But, you know, <laughs> people would expect me to be talking about it. But it's true. It's, it's what you... It's, it, I have these techniques that help me, that I... They're coping mechanisms for life. You know, so if, if I do feel that way, that's what I'll do, you know. And I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm not. I don't think you should be ashamed. I think... No. For me personally, I've, I wish I would have been more open to trying meditation and stuff like that earlier. I'm really late on to the scene. I really struggled to really get into it. But once getting into it and stuff, I think it's, it's definitely making me evolve as a, as a person. Yeah, I did it right from the, when I was about in my 20s when the Maharishi was around. And <laughs> they, they used to give you your mantra and they'd say, don't tell anybody else it's your secret mantra. That, that <laughs> drove me quite mad as well. I still haven't told anybody else what it is even to this day. But. But I don't do, I don't meditate much now, but if occasionally a good, another tool that you can use, they're all useful coping tools, coping mechanisms that if we're honest about it, we need it. I don't know about you, I, I look at, sometimes I look at people and think, God, they're so confident, I wish I was like that. I just wish I had that cocksure confidence about it. But you, I bet if you spoke to those people, I think very, very few people, if they're being really honest, have that. Stephen Blair gets that a lot because he's a big guy. He works out, and then like when he opens his heart and how he feels, sometimes people are like, "Whoa, hang on a minute, you should be saying that." Because he's a confident guy, he's a big guy, but yeah, well, yeah. Don't expect a guy, sensitive guy to have a tattoo like that. Customers are shocked when I start crying on them in their houses. He's doing that a lot as well. <laughs> I do think, I mean, just being able to like crack a joke like that is so good. It's, it is the best, that is the best thing, I think. I'm getting more emotional the older I get. I nearly cried at Forrest Gump yesterday. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that, is there? There's absolutely nothing wrong. With I mean, I'm definitely emotional. I can cry watching Neighbours or something, you know, you don't want to admit it, but oh yeah, definitely, you know, it's ridiculous. There's a lot it, goes on in that street. Oh yeah, it's funny. <laughs> 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 Andy, in your, so I, we, we were lucky to speak to Mark Saggers last week and they, he spoke quite highly about talk sports, so I presume they've got quite a good infrastructure in there if you're, if you're struggling. Yes, I think they do, and I think they're much more aware. They're the, these people who own it now, use UK, they own it about five, six years. There's a definitely a culture of, you know, are you okay? Do you feel all right? And if people aren't, they can take time off. And I think whereas Kelvin, you know, who owned it before, even even UTV, it was all quite macho and quite, a, especially being a sports station. And of course. A lot of the listeners don't like it. They don't like it when TalkSport put up a pride thing, you know, as their Twitter avatar. You know, they don't like it. They just they can't deal with it. It's a it's, it's certain type, you know, you guys have got a long way to go in a certain sense because there are a lot of men out there that just don't want to know about it. They don't want, they just say, stick to sport. That's their mantra. Stick to sport. Don't talk to me about politics don't talk to me about gender don't talk to me about depression don't talk to me about pride i'm, I'm not interested I, that's not what you're here for you know who's going to win tonight you know and there's a that is a big thing to overcome they talk about, about themselves are good very good like that that's good but i think you know these guys that you're explaining some of my friends are exactly the same and somehow we just need to keep thinking i mean i listen I'm, i listen to talk sport a lot but you know sometimes with the diverse conversations i think that helps 
you know, yeah. that, that breaks the stuff it's become, up. You know. It's become a lot more diverse. About two years ago, I went to them and there were, it was, a, it was one day, I can't remember, it was a, some race issue in the, in the news. And I said to them, this is ridiculous. You, we go on air and we're pontificating about somebody being racist or something not being right. I said, look at this organisation. Well, one black person here, not one. I think we had one, maybe two over the period that I'd worked there. So we've got no women. This is, you know, no one would even admit to being gay, even if they were, you know. I said, this has got to change. And to be fair, when a new guy came in and he's really taken that on, he's really changed. And now it's very diverse and much, much better. But of course, a lot of the old school listeners don't like it. They're not happy about it. But it's too bad because that's the way it's going to be. And that is a good thing. They're going to have to adapt. Yeah. And although I have a kind of sympathy for the older guy, because that's what I grew up with, and I grew up with those prejudices, I know it's, this is the right thing to do. Even if I slightly rail against it at times, I know it's right. And so therefore, I'm really glad that, you know, we have got a lot more people of colour, women, you know. But there's still, there's still taboos. There's no question about it, especially in football. You know, so... Yeah. We're talking about that today on the show. It was interesting. You're a Chelsea fan, right, Andy? I am, yeah. <laughs> Stephen Blair don't like football, but I'm an Arsenal fan, which is, yeah, it's not great. But <laughs> I like football. I fell out of love with it years ago. For me, it was just the money ruined it. And I just think the way, the, you know, that those football players are role models to younger lads and they're just perceived to, like, lie throw yourself on the floor, make someone up. And I just look back when we was playing football when we was kids. We wouldn't wear shin guards. We probably couldn't afford shin guards. Run about all day with blood dripping off us. If someone went to football, yeah, you'd be determined you wasn't going to fall on the floor. You'd just keep going. And I just think, well, we're now looking at footballers who just want to throw themselves on the ground and fake everything. And I sort of fell out of love with it for that reason. Do you think, though, that... Sorry to interrupt. That the the pandemic has shown footballers in a better light. I think at the start of this, people were saying Hancock was saying they should contribute. They should, and suddenly they were the ones that were contributing. Marcus Rashford was the one saying, you know, these kids need feeding. You know, Troy Deeney was making efforts, and I think footballers, the perception of footballers, I think after this pandemic is better than it was going into it. I think a lot of people would have agreed with you, Stephen. I think they would have said exactly what you just said. But I'm hoping that people can see that actually a lot of these blokes are aware of their responsibility. They're aware that they're very fortunate. I don't begrudge anybody earning a lot of money. If you, you know, it's very, very, very hard to make it as a professional footballer, to become, you know, we all grew up wanting to be a footballer. You know, it's a great glamorous thing. You have to work hard and there's a lot of knocks. And so if you get the money, it's like an actor. You know, people never say, oh, Tom Cruise, it's disgusting, he gets 20 million in a film. You think, why? What's the difference? It's exactly the same. It's about what you can generate. And that's when they say, oh, women should get the same money as men. You think, oh, not really. You know, when women's football can generate the same money that football generates, yeah, then maybe they can have the same money. I don't, you know, it's not quite the same thing. So I do have some old-fashioned attitudes, but I do, that's how I feel about it. You know, I think that that's the way it is i think for the clubs 
the the money that they generate, the the players, you know, they earn what they earn at the end of the day. And I I agree with I I like football, but you know they do dive around sometimes, and it is frustrating. But you know those points that they do that, and you think that money, you know, winning that game or losing that game, whether it's a big game, means such a difference in financial returns. You can understand it, but it is it's frustrating. But I mean, to your point about um, the the footballers, I think yeah, Marcus Rashford, Troy Deeney, you know. But again, it's it's no different to everyday Joe blogs on the street. It's the good and the bad, isn't there? There's always that minority few that might spoil it for the yeah, the yeah. bigger masses. So that's true. influential our footballers are. So so influential. When David Beckham was around, everybody had their haircut like David Beckham. Did you see that's, not, that's not David Beckham's fault, is it? I mean, David Beckham didn't yeah. ask to be a role model. You know, I I, I don't feel for him because you know he's bloody laughing, isn't he? You know, what I mean, but. On the other hand, you know, and he cultivated that. He wanted all that attention so that whatever he feels about it, he kind of deserves whatever he gets either way because that's the path he chose. But, you know, I just, I, I did feel this thing about role models. It's a very dangerous area, this, you know. It's a cliche, but I think your parents, your mum, your dad, they should be your role models. I'm not sure some, you know, f- footballer, and what's it, you know, he's out there trying to be, Maybe he's being a role model for his own kids, but I'm not sure how he should necessarily be one. You know, not everybody would agree with this view. I know people do think they have a responsibility, and I suppose they they do, but it, it's difficult. You know, I don't think people look to footballers in, within their own inadequacies because they aren't role models for their kids. At the end of the day, that's their job. So when they're at work, they just have to act professionally, the same as I would when I go inside a customer's house to do a job. How I act has got to change while I'm in there. Because I'll be perceived the wrong way, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like you say, some footballers like that. Some don't like that. Some just want to play football. But they are so influential. You know what I mean? When they're on the TV, talking massively influential. You know, you, you see people having the same haircut. or go out and have the tattoos done. And I'm just thinking, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. So, obviously... They've got to feel some pressure as well. Yeah. Being in that position, you know, they've gone from just playing football to now, I've got to change the way I behave, I've got to change this, I've got to change that. So that's obviously going to affect them as well as footballers. I think it's, yeah. it's and quite of they, they can play a great role in what you're doing and the work you're doing because if a footballer comes out and says, Yeah, I was really struggling mentally and I found it good to talk to other men and I found it good that the club helped me, but that's only a good thing. Because you're right, Stephen, people are influenced by it. So that the more yeah. of that, the better. And I think that we are in a climate of that now. I think players do feel they can they can speak out. And I think you've also got to recognise as well, if they do something wrong, it's not like me doing something wrong. If I do something wrong it'll be between me and the people who's there on that day and the mm. small circle that when they when a sports personality does something wrong the world knows they've done something wrong mm. and it's keeping us and putting their face probably for a few weeks until something else comes out of somebody else if you know what I mean so that's got to be stress often we did we did one the other week a podcast with Alex Reed, and he more or less said the same thing he said oh, I kind of care what people think about me but I don't care what people think but I have I'm kind of in the limelight if you know what I mean oh. so is there anything Cricket, how it's different with cricketers. Now, you watch 
there's, there's two films I've watched. One was a film about playing for England. It was about really about Jonathan Trott, who had a lot of mental problems. And you just yeah. you watch this thing and you realize you, you're watching the game, you're getting involved, you're saying, Oh, you idiot, you, what you've done that for, and blah, 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 blah. blah. You realize the pressure these fellas are under. Yeah, they get paid a lot, but so what? You know, they, I'm not sure. When I watch these films and when I saw the test about the Australian thing, you watch it and you think, I'm not sure I'd really want to do this. It's, it is a lot of pressure. It is a lot of, you know, people who don't know you criticizing you, which is always a tricky thing. You know, like you said, Stephen, about a guy trolling you. It's um, So you can imagine that times you know, a thousand or a hundred thousand. It's really quite unpleasant, the old Twitter piling or that sort of thing, you know, that is a, is a pressure. The problem with social media, there's not a lot of accountability, is there? So, I mean, you could probably get caught up in, yeah, many negative comments. I mean, just because they earn a certain amount of money and, you know, do this their job at the end of the day, I don't think they deserve really, that. You know, if you're speaking face to face with somebody now, it's much harder for them to slag you off than it is if you make a statement online and then they say, oh, I don't agree with that. What you're doing is a lot of old bollocks. Mm. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, I got off Twitter. I found it too difficult. I found it, you know, any, especially if you're involved in football. I don't know why anybody in football is on Twitter because you could say anything. You can say, well, it's a nice, nice day today. And was, well, what do you know about the weather you see? You know, yeah. you, sort of, you know, you think, well, I only say it was a nice day. You don't have a right go at me. And that's, that is a problem. So in the end, I, I just thought, nah, I don't need this. I think a lot of people mentally health-wise would be better off not being on social media. 100%. 100%. Actually, uh, the weekend I deactivated um, Twitter and Instagram because I just thought, find myself aimlessly scrolling. And I think, actually, I'm not present of where I actually am. What am I doing? So I've actually deactivated them. You like Instagram. <laughs> it's my favourite. It's, at least it's fun. It seems gentler. There's a gentler feel to Instagram to me than there is to... Twitter's the most hostile. Facebook is just boring. It's so boring, people. And I noticed today, I mean, every day, if you look at the papers, every day there'll be a couple of stories where people, today I think it was a was it pilots, two pilots, and one of them had a rubber chicken. And he filmed himself in the cockpit, like playing with the controls with this rubber chicken. And, of course, he put it on social media, he put it on WhatsApp, a group, I'd imagine, the danger with that is when you put anything on a WhatsApp group, then everybody's got it. And then you, the bloke you thought you could trust, he's gone, here, look at Stan. You know, he's flying a plane with a chicken. Look at that. It's ridiculous. And then, and then he says, look at this pilot. I don't even know who he is, but he's got a chicken. And in the end, it ends up in the sun. The bloke loses his... And you think, what the fuck's that about? Why are you showing off? And you'll see that so much people showing off on before social media existed they didn't have this outlet to show off like this and it's so costly you think you've had this cheap laugh for about 10 seconds but it's cost you your life your job yeah. you think you should really ever think about it before you put stuff up there but you know it's amazing how many how often this is prevalent in in public life now it's norm isn't it you've got to, it's almost a matter of when and not if yeah, I it's, think. it's costly though, you know, and have a laugh. If you want to have a laugh, you know, in the old days, he would have had a laugh with his pilot mates. So you've got the chicken out there, don't you? The three of them in the cockpit would have laughed. Been, oh, good old Stan, he's a laugh, isn't it? And that would have been the end of it. No one would have known anything, none the better, none the wiser. 
their lives wouldn't have been ruined. Other people wouldn't have got on their high horses. I mean, you know, people get so indignant now in modern life, you know. How dare they do that, you know? That's a lovely British game, isn't it, at the moment, especially with you know, lockdown, and he's, he's, he's more than two metres, he's close to me and all that stuff. And, you know, and it's, the intolerance is, that is sensational. I think yes, yeah, it's the way it is. Yeah, right or wrong, it's the way it is. I think we have to take some responsibility for, you know, for ourselves. So when it comes to WhatsApps and and social media, I'm guilty of the things I'm talking about. I'm guilty of too at times. Yeah, Yeah. but not posting stuff that's going to get me the sack. I try and avoid that if I can. (laughs) Try your best, Andy. Andy, we've took up a lot of your time. So, I mean, I'd be really, we'd like to give you the last word just for, for anyone that's struggling out there, you know, just a, a little bit of advice from you would be great. Oh, it's obvious, isn't it? It's just find someone you can talk to, find a mate and don't be frightened. Don't feel you're alone. Don't feel embarrassed. It's more embarrassing to, to sit on it yourself and feel worse and worse and worse. And and sometimes, I mean, you know, going to the doctor, sometimes getting some help, you know, be it mindfulness, be it, you know, a short course of antidepressants might be necessary, whatever. You know, don't be afraid of that either. It's not a failure in your life. It's not a, you know, and if you come out of it the other side, you'll be so much stronger. You'll be able to help other people like you two. So that's got to be the thing. You're listening to the Men Talk podcast. Want to feature on a future show? Then get in touch with the team at info at mentalk.online. <laughs>